Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Invite you to grab your Bible uh, and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. If you don't have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to grab your phone or your tablet uh, and uh, Google Ezekiel 36. That's where we're going to be in just a few minutes. I also want to uh, invite you to grab that uh, sermon notes page out of the inside of your bulletin that Patrick mentioned a few minutes ago. I just believe that you will get the most out of what we're about to do. Uh, if you grab a pen and take some notes, it'll help you remember things. Uh, brain science tells us that we learn better when we write things down. Uh, and so I'm just going to invite you to take notes. And for those of you that are in a life group, uh, you'll need those as you get ready to prepare uh, for your meeting uh, this week. Our text this morning comes out of the book of Ezekiel, uh, verses 30, chapter 36, verses 24 uh, through 27. Uh, and so I'm going to invite you to stand with me, uh, and out of reverence uh, for the Lord and His Word. Uh, and let's listen now together for the Word of the Lord, beginning Ezekiel 36, 24. Uh, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes And be careful to obey my rules. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we praise you and thank you that you are a glorious God. We praise you and thank you that you are alive and at work among us. We praise you and thank you that you are not a distant memory, uh, that we just come to remember what you used to do or how you have acted in the past. But Lord, we gather this day knowing that you are alive and on the move, that you are at work and you are calling us to new life. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to be about your action, to be about your desires, to further your mission and your dreams inside each of us. Lord, as we hear your word and reflect on it, would you teach us and guide us? Would you shape us and form us that we might know you and abide in you, that we might walk in the way of Christ Jesus? Meet us in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Well, it was about a year ago uh, that I saw a friend of mine that I had not seen since before the pandemic began. Uh, this is a guy I'd known for 20 years or, or more, but as the pandemic came with so many people, we didn't see each other. We would text here and there, might have seen each other on a Zoom meeting or that kind of thing, uh, but we had not really spent any time together. Uh, and when we saw each other for the first time, I was absolutely astounded at what had happened over the couple of years since I had seen him before. He had lost almost 100 pounds. 
It was one of the most amazing things that I had ever seen, that this guy who I had known for all of this time uh, walked in the door of my house, and standing before me was almost a complete new person. I mean, he had lost a person, uh, and he looked incredible. It was the most healthy that I had ever seen him uh, in all the time that we had known each other. Uh, as we began visiting that day, I asked him, I said, this is amazing. I said, what's happened? And uh, he kind of related to me the struggle uh, that many people have shared. He said, you know, I would have good seasons and bad seasons of trying to be healthy. He, would, uh, he said, I would have good seasons and bad seasons of uh, exercising or trying to lose weight. And he said, uh, and there would be times where uh, I would kind of work on my discipline and do good about what I ate or that kind of thing. And he said, and I would have lost some weight and it would have been good and it would have lasted for a while. He said, but then something inevitably always happened. And he said, my situation would change. Something would, would come about. And he said, and I would lose my discipline. And before I knew it, everything that I had worked so hard at was gone. He said, the same was true with exercise. He said, uh, I would get in a habit where I would be really good about exercising and would feel good. And then something would change. And all of a sudden it was gone. And so I said, well, what happened this time? Uh, I said, you've done more than I've ever seen you do before. It seems like it's lasted longer than it's ever lasted before. What was different about this time than all of those times before? And he began to lay out for me a story of encountering this uh, kind of health program, or I don't know exactly the details of what it was, but it was different than anything he had done before. He said, I encountered this program, he said, that wasn't just based on my sheer discipline. He said it wasn't just based on me kind of gritting my teeth and trying to make myself do things that were incredibly difficult for me to do. Uh, he said before I ever started this program, he said as I was kind of reading the intro to it, it's, he said it challenged me to think below the surface of my life. It made me think about kind of my dreams and my visions, what it was that I wanted and why I was uh, seeking this kind of change in my lifestyle. And he said, so I had to kind of think about some deeper things before I ever began the program. And he said, and then there would be this, this ritual that in the middle of it, he said, if you had a day where you missed your goals or you didn't hit the mark you wanted or you didn't do the things that you were doing, that, that they wouldn't just kind of say, we'll do better tomorrow. Uh, then immediately there was this check to say, what was going on inside of you? What was the motive or the trigger? What, what was it that happened? What were you feeling? What were you experiencing? And he said, Nolan, until I could connect my outward actions to an inner transformation, he said, nothing ever changed for good. He said, but once I began to work on the internal." And those internal motivations and triggers and emotions around all of these things changed. He said, the rest has been easy. He said, all of a sudden, now I'm living out some new beliefs and some new understandings. Things that, that I had never thought I could do before. Because what changed first was on the inside. My friend's experience with losing weight and getting healthy is remarkably similar to how transformation works in our life. It's remarkably similar to how any transformation works, but particularly how our spiritual lives work and how our lives in relationship with God works. If we want to ever really see lasting change in our lives, if we want to ever really become lifetime followers of Jesus that reflect the character and the fruit of the life of Jesus, it will not happen if all we do is work on the externals. It will only happen for good in a lasting and transforming way when we connect what is going on inside of us. 
internal transformation is what will drive ultimately us becoming all that God wants us to be. The late great theologian Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, the greatest need that you and I have, the greatest need of collective humanity, is renovation of our hearts. That spiritual place within us from which our outlook, our choices, and our actions come has been formed by a world apart from God. Now it must be transformed. The greatest need you and I have, the greatest need that all of humanity has, is renovation of our hearts. You can look at the world around us. You can look at all the struggles and the pain and the atrocities of the world, and there are many. It is not hard to find. But yet what we find is that no matter what it is, whether it's some kind of mass crime or uh, event that makes global news, or whether it's us uh, uh, getting in an argument with our spouse for the 9,000th time, whatever it is, those actions are merely symptoms of something bigger, something that is going on inside of us. Because the way that our lives work, uh, the very sense of how we're organized, that there is something inside of us, a source or a, 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 an engine, a, 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 an operation inside of us that drives all of who we are. And so while we may do actions and we may respond to things that are happening in our world and we may see crimes and all kind of sin and evil, at the very basis, all of those things, how we act, what we think, how we feel, what we do, are driven by a source inside of us. And this source is kind of this, uh, as Dallas Willard would say, the executive center of our life. Uh, that out of this source drives all of who we are and all of what we do. Uh, and in some ways, it is able for us to say that far more than how we act, that the most important thing about our lives is our heart. Because it's out of our heart that everything else flows. It's out of our heart that our being is made. It's out of our heart that our actions become. And so unless we take seriously the heart inside of us, we will never see our lives really look the way that Christ wants our lives to look. Jesus makes this really clear in lots of different places. If you have your Bibles uh, open and you want to flip over to Matthew chapter 15, uh, there's one place that he makes this just abundantly clear. As he's having a discussion with his disciples in chapter 15, verse 18, he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thought." Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slanders. Uh, the heart inside of us, this source, this controlling office, this agent, this unseen thing within, is what drives our very identity. And so if we want to live fully into the way of Christ, if we want to be a renovated people, uh, then we will have to begin to pay attention to our hearts. This concept is really nothing new. Uh, all through the pages of Scripture, we find that this was the design and the desire of God from the earliest days. Uh, once Israel kind of fell apart and the covenant was not working and the prophets begin to paint a picture of what it will look like when God comes and restores his people and offers them a new way of life and living in relationship with him. From the very beginning, this story works with it. It will be driven by an inner transformation inside of you. 
Uh, I love how we see this through all the prophets, but the book of Ezekiel is a place where we see it maybe clearer than anywhere else. Uh, The book of Ezekiel is this incredible expose that's worth studying as a kind of picture of the the story of Israel, uh, but it's also a parallel to your life and my life. It, It paints this picture of how despite our best efforts to attain our own goodness, that nothing we can do is good enough. And what we see is that the people of Israel try over and over again to figure out how to do it by themselves. They try their best to keep the covenant, but ultimately they continually choose their own self-preference, self-desires, and self-fulfillment over anything that God wants. Uh, And as they continue down this process of thinking that they can have it their way and God's way at the same time, things get worse and worse and worse. And the first 30 chapters of the book of Ezekiel essentially paint this picture of what happens as they reach the very end of choosing their own way over God's over and over and over over again uh, until the point comes where God's presence leaves the temple, where he allows the the nation of Babylon to come in and ransack Jerusalem, where he allows all of the people to be exiled and taken away into slavery where they will live. It is the lowest of the low. It is the darkest and the hardest point that we see all through the story of Israel. And what we see so clearly in that place is that a life of choosing our own way, of choosing our own self-preference, of choosing to try it and trying to be good on our own, will never ultimately achieve the relationship and the wholeness that God desires for us. Everything falls apart when we choose to do our way over God's. Everything falls apart when we continually think that we can make God fit on our terms. Everything falls apart when we reject the fullness of what God wants. But yet, as we see this dark and bleak time, the people are not without hope. Because what we find is that even in the darkest place, where God leaves them to their own, says that you can deal with the consequences of their actions, where he would be right to say you've had your chance and you'll have to deal with yourself from here, is that God continually offers hope. That no matter how dark or bleak or hard your story is, that you are never at the place where God isn't offering hope to you where his mission can't continue, where he doesn't have a story that he wants to write in your life, where he's not willing to invite you into a new journey. And so as we shift into this portion of the book of Ezekiel that I read from this morning, we begin to see a vision of what God desires for his people. That no matter how dark or bleak or sinful life has become, that he has a vision for what life can be. That he has a vision for what he longs to write in your story and in our story and in all of his people's story together. The first promise that he offers as we read through this kind of latter part of the book of Ezekiel is the promise of a Messiah that will come. Is that he offers the promise of one that will come that will reign as the new king that will offer redemption and restoration and wholeness and life. Uh, The second promise that he offers is he says this is how it will happen. And that's the part of the text that I read to you this morning. Is that as he's laying out these promises of this vision of what he desires and what he wants to see happen is that not only does he tell us that there will be a Messiah that will come, that will offer life and hope, that will offer restoration and redemption, but then he tells us specifically how it will happen. If you still have your Bible open in Ezekiel 36, you can look at two of the verses that I read specifically. In verse 26 and verse 27, this is what he says. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There in those two verses, right in the center of this text that I read this morning, it is the way that God envisions fulfilling this promise of new life and new hope in us. The first promise that he gives is the promise of a Messiah who will come. The second promise that he gives is the way in which he will do this work. And if you look at this specifically, what you see is that the work that he says is completely a spiritual work. Now, I don't know how you might think about it. If you were thinking about what God might expect or how God might want to enact his will in our lives, uh, that it might come with this sense of if you'll go to church three out of four Sundays per month, then I'll do this. That would be that kind of contract mentality to say, if you do this, then I'll do that. Or he said, if you give so much to immeasurably more, then I'll do this. If you do this, if you're nice to this, if you're more moral than your neighbor, if you, you know, can, can make a good case for all the, that, that there will be all of these kind of measures and scales to say this is how God would say I will give you something but it will be completely dependent upon what we did first and surprisingly what we find when we look at this text is that is not how God works that is not the promise and the vision of what he says he will do in our lives that as he lays out the way that he will give us new hope and new life that it is interestingly and maybe even surprisingly a 100% spiritual transformation that comes from God that, that he lays it out specifically. He doesn't say anything about what you and I will do. He doesn't say anything about how we'll have to be good enough to make this happen. He doesn't say anything about how if we try hard enough or grit our teeth enough or pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off enough time, then he will do these things. What he says is, I will put a new heart inside of you. I will give you a new heart. I will take that stony old heart, that sinful broken heart, and I will replace it with a new heart. I will breathe into you my spirit. That I will breathe my spirit into you. That you won't have to do life on your own. That I will breathe life into you and you will live. And it's only after he lays out those two things of this heart transformation and this breathing of the Spirit that then he says, then you will be able to live according to my statutes. Then you will be able to do what it is I expect. He doesn't start off by saying, you do what I expect and then I'll do something in your life. What he says is, I will change your heart and then you'll be able to do something with your life. The story of Ezekiel goes on. It's incredible because right after that, if you were to read into chapter 37, there is this incredible vision of this story at work. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's this valley of dry bones. And what the valley of dry bones is all of these people who have uh, failed to live the way God wants, who are broken and sinful that can't do life the way they've tried to do life. And as the prophet looks at it, it's this bleak and desolate situation. And what God comes and says is, I can breathe life even into the deadest of places. And then the vision goes that his spirit comes and the, the prophet watches before his eyes as the bones come back together and they're formed into life as God breathes life into them that then this becomes an army of people, a new people created and living fully into the wholeness and the life that God alone can give. 
It's one of the most astounding pictures that we find in all of Scripture of the way that God wants to work in our lives, that God promises that what he wants to do is to give us a, a Messiah, a Redeemer, one who will restore us. And then he shows us this is exactly how it will happen. Now, this isn't just some kind of like pie in the sky, by and by, dream to try and motivate people to go, let's cast this big picture and maybe people get all excited, but then we're not really going to do it. This is what we see play out in the person and the life of Jesus. That when Jesus, the Messiah, comes, that what he does is that he channels this vision that God has had for all time to say, this is how I will work. I love if you go to lots of places in Jesus' teaching, uh, what you'll find is that he is always challenging an inner work first. Uh, but you can go to the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' one single largest, largest recorded teaching anywhere in Scripture. At the very beginning, what we see is that Jesus walks through actions and he says, you have heard that it was said, and then he'll lay out some action. And then immediately he moves beyond the external action. And he says, but what I want to do is challenge your internal heart. That I want to see something deeper inside of you at work. That I'm not just interested in you being able to comply with an outside demand. I want to see an internal transformation that ultimately will bring forth the life that only I can give. I mean, you can track this all the way through Jesus' ministry. And another place that you see this so clearly is when he condemns the Pharisees, those overly zealous religious leaders of the day who were really great at following all the rules. What he says to them is he says, you've made your outsides look really, really good. You comply with all the expectations and behaviors, but internally you are so, so far from what it is that I want for your life internally your heart has not been changed. Jesus makes it so clear that, that what matters is the heart. Jesus makes it so clear is that the heart of it all is our heart. Jesus makes it so clear that if we really want to know the fullness of life in him, that ultimately it will come with allowing our hearts to be transformed. The greatest need of our life the greatest need of all humanity is renovation of the heart. The greatest need of our lives, the greatest need of all humanity is renovation of the heart. It's interesting when you think about the heart, uh, the heart is kind of this complex thing. I mean, uh, science knows all kind of things about the human body, uh, but they don't know anything about the heart. And yet it is the thing that we talk about and think about in our lives more than anything else. When I mean, you think about movies, you think about art, you think about music, you think about all the things that we kind of celebrate about people, and ultimately it is stuff that emanates from the heart. We are deeply concerned and care about how it is that our hearts, that inner source, that executive center, as Dallas Willard would say, and we're deeply concerned with how it works and how it moves. All of us have a heart uh, that at some level has been formed. Uh, you can't not be formed. Uh, one of the things that I love out of Dallas Willard's work is that he says spiritual formation shouldn't really be called spiritual formation. It should be called spiritual reformation because all of us are formed in some ways. And so the combination of how you grew up, the combination of how you learned to look at the world, the influences you had, the things that were good, that were bad, that were challenging, all of those things together began to form who you were. And it wasn't just that those things formed you, but they began to form the way that you would 
think and the way that you would feel and the way that you would respond to situations, but all of us have had a spiritual formation as well. Even if you didn't grow up in church, if nobody ever talked to you about God, if you didn't live a life of faith, you were still spiritually formed. You began to make decisions about how it is that you would live and what it is you would think and how it is you would figure God lived in your world and what it would look like to follow him or serve him or acknowledge him or how all of that works. All of that happens. And what ends up happening for all of us is that our hearts look an awful lot like that quintessential picture of the iceberg. You know, the, the one that has the, the image of the iceberg above the top of the water, but then there's this huge amount, this mass of ice that is below the surface. And so for many of us, what we know uh, is the very top above the water. We know some things about our heart. We know the way we respond in some situations. The, we know the way we think, the, the way we feel, or in some circumstances, what is going on. But there is so much that is stored inside of us that we don't even know about. That we aren't even aware of how it is that we live or think or breathe or how the stories or memories of our past begin to shape and form who we are. And so the goal of this spiritual formation process is that we would participate in a renovation of the heart that is a spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of ourselves in such a way that our inner character would become like the inner character of Jesus. Essentially, what it means is that we've all been formed. That we've been formed by the world around us, that we've been formed by the experiences that we've had. But for us to really allow our hearts to be renovated is that we would take the formation we have and we would hold it in one hand. And together we would seek to grasp the work that God wants to do in us. And that we would participate and God leading us through a formation, a reformation, a transformation of our hearts to where our hearts, that source, that executive center of our being, would reflect the inner character of Jesus. Oftentimes we say that we want to be like Jesus, but the way that we become like Jesus isn't trying to mirror all of his actions. The way that we become like Jesus is to allow the Holy Spirit together to do that image that we see in Ezekiel 36, where our hearts are transformed, where we participate with the Spirit of God, willingly allowing him to do the work inside of us to where the inner character of our lives would begin to reflect the inner character of Jesus. Now, let me tell you what the renovation of the heart isn't. The renovation of the heart is not uh, gritting your teeth and trying harder this time. The renovation of the heart is not saying, okay, this time I really mean it. Uh, this time I'm going to set my phone across the room so that I won't look at it while I'm laying in bed. That's not the renovation of the heart. That's external work. Uh, the renovation of the heart isn't saying this time I'm going to be really disciplined and I'm even going to get some accountability. You might get some accountability along this journey, but that's not the internal transformation that God wants to bring. 
Part of the struggle for what makes this so hard, and part of why we're going to spend the next several weeks working on this, is because this isn't a critique, but it's because of the way our world works, is that oftentimes much of the work of the church, not just First United Methodist Church, but all of the church, doesn't move us in this direction. We live in a world that says, if we want to see something, we need to learn more information. Or if we want to be different, we need to do more action. And so, so much of the work of the church is just about doing more or learning more or being busier. And it doesn't ever move to the place of saying, what would it look like to participate in things that would allow God to literally change us? To where our character no longer looked like the sinful character of Nolan Donald, but to where my character began to look more and more like the character of Jesus Christ. Uh, That I would allow God to work in places where I don't think about the way uh, of the world, the way that God wants me to, and and that I would allow God to begin to change that. That my thoughts and my feelings and my will and the, the, the ways that I go about life wouldn't be driven by the way I had been formed externally, but it would be driven by the way I was transformed internally so that I might begin to reflect the character of Christ. And what will happen is rather than working harder and harder to clean our outsides up, is that when we allow God to do that internal work, that then our actions will begin to change. That then our lives will begin to reflect the way of Jesus more. That it won't come from us just trying harder and harder to do it on our own. But that as we allow God to transform us, that what we'll see is the ripples in our life will begin to change. That the way we live in relationship with other people, the way we love our neighbors and even our enemies, that the way we participate in the mission of God in the world, that those things will begin to change because everything emanates from our hearts. To do it any other way, It's kind of like my friend and his journey to lose weight. That what he found was that he could try really hard to discipline himself. But until he allowed something internal to change, he never found lasting and sustaining change to become who he wanted to be. My guess is that inherently, you know this is true. You may not have ever thought about it quite like this. You may have never thought about that the greatest need in your life or in all of humanity is a renovation of the heart. But my guess is that you know it's true. Because I bet you've had an experience in your life, and maybe it's come from uh, hearing a sermon or reading a page of Scripture where you see a promise of God, and you go, that's incredible. Maybe it's the fruits of the Spirit where you think about joy, peace, patience, self-control, gentleness, all of these things, and you go, that's incredible. I could never do that. And maybe for a while you've tried. Maybe you read 1 Corinthians 13 that said, this is what love is like, and you're like, I'm going to try really hard to love just like this. And you may have done okay for a while, and then you got frustrated and blew your cool, and you forgot about it, and you didn't remember what you were going to do, and you ultimately found yourself being frustrated. Maybe there was a sense of despair. Or maybe you saw someone else and they seemed to kind of live that character of Jesus more than you. And you're like, I don't get it. Why is it that they're like that, but I'm like this? And you're like, what is it? You know, I want to be like them. And so you would try. And it might work for a while. And maybe you'd pick up some new habits. And maybe some transformation actually happened. But at the end of the day, you were frustrated because you were pressing from the outside towards the inside. Instead of allowing the inside to be transformed and then moved to the outside. 
Maybe it's you compared yourself around other people or you uh, just assume that maybe that only happens for some people. Maybe you've dismissed whole pieces of Scripture saying, well, maybe that happens for some people and maybe someday the God lightning bolt will strike me and it'll happen to me too. But what I believe Jesus tells us, what I believe the message of the Scripture says is that God longs for us to go about this a different way. That God longs to change us, to transform us. That he literally will change the very character of our being. That no longer does it have to be the character with which we were formed that we've lived with for all the days of our lives. But that by participating in the work of the Spirit, that what God wants to do is to make our inner character reflect the very inner character of Jesus. And that that... And as we do that, is the only way that we can know the fullness and wholeness that he longs for us to know. Anything less than that is settling for a second-rate version of faith. That it's missing the abundant life that God wants us to have. That it's missing the identity and way that he wants us to function in the world. That it's missing the fullness of who he wants to become. The greatest need of your life, the greatest need of my life, the greatest need of all of humanity is renovation of the heart. I think this is so important that we are going to focus on this, on this home stretch as we go back to our renovated sanctuary. Because to only renovate the externals would be to miss what God has called his church to be. To only renovate the building, but not to renovate the interior, would miss the very call of discipleship for which Jesus died. To only renovate the externals, but not allow God to create in us the new life that he longs for us to know, would be just to participate in rote activity and religion. And that's not what we're here for. And so my challenge to you as we begin this journey over these next few weeks is to ask yourself this question. To say, what if this is so? What if this is the story of Scripture? What if you're attending church and uh, comparing yourself to the neighbor? What if you're working to be good isn't the real way that God transforms our life? And what if there's a spiritual participation that God wants to invite you into? that ultimately will change the very core of your identity, that will lead you into more Christ-likeness in your life. And as you ponder that and wonder, what if this is so? I invite you to wonder about your heart. What is your heart like? What's the part above the water that you can see? How do you show up? Where does your temper come in? What are the places where doubt or feelings or struggles rule the day? What might be under the surface that you're not even aware of or you only see occasionally? And what might it look like if God got hold of that heart? What might it look like if those promises of power and peace and joy, of hope and contentment in the darkest and hardest of situations were true in your life too? What might be the impact that you would make in the people closest to you and in the world around you? What might it look like if you emanated a light and a peace 
It was bigger than anything you could imagine everywhere you went. The greatest need of your life, the greatest need of all of humanity, is renovation of the heart. Without it, we will never become all that God wants us to be. Pray with me, please. I'm going to invite you uh, right now just as a, a way of wondering about what God might want to do just to pray where you are. Just to spend a moment asking God to show you your heart. Asking God to connect the dots in your own life. And then maybe you're ready to pray this prayer. To say, Lord, would you transform my heart? not by my sheer might, not by my effort, not by my gritting my teeth and trying harder and harder to make myself become good, but would you do an internal work in me? Would you transform me from the inside out? Would you give me courage to participate in the steps and ways that you show us how to join you in this transforming work? If you're willing to pray that, I just invite you silently right now to pray that. If you're not, I invite you to tell God what your fear is, what your concern is, or what your hesitation is. God, we don't want to settle for a second-rate version of faith that is just based on our efforts and our attempts to make ourselves like you. When you promise a transformation, a changing of the heart, a filling with your spirit, a life that has the very character of Christ. And so together we pray, come Holy Spirit and do a work in our hearts. Lord, may we be a people transformed by your power that the character of our very inner being reflects the character of Christ and that that carries us into the world to advance your mission and to share your gospel, to shine your light wherever we go. Help us, Lord. Give us courage to go on this journey with you. We pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen.